I'd like to welcome you too. You know, it's as I looked back working on this sermon, I got to uh, thinking this is now my 46th year keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And the uh, young lady working the sound back there was at that first feast too. But I'm not going to tell you her age. <laughs> She's a little older than that, maybe. But it is fantastic because I can remember some of my feasts in St. Pete being almost 15,000 people. And I look here, we're far cry short of that 15,000. And I had the opportunity of being in the feast, of being in God's church and God's way and being able to go to South Africa and having feasts down there with 26 or 27 one year and 25 the next. And I see we have a few more than that. So we fit somewhere in between. It's, but it's, it's a great opportunity. Each time I think I gain a lot more. And we also are one step closer to the return of Christ, which is also one of the benefits of knowing God's way of life. I know that we're keeping it different than most people, but we're keeping God's feast at His time when He sets at His place. We had sermons that tell us that God tells you to come to the feast and to come to where He chooses. Too many times people, and I've found this in, in mine over the years where people have said, oh, I go to the feast because it's my vacation. But we're not here for my vacation or your vacation. We're here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. And I know that in the past, the church kept the, the Jewish calendar because they have it down that you can't, you just can't keep a back-to-back Sabbath. And yet this year we found trumpets in a back-to-Sabbath. We've found atonement with a two Sabbaths. And here we are, two Sabbaths for the first day and the Sabbath afterwards. Why can't we have it? Why can't you have a back-to-back Sabbath? I mean, I, maybe because we don't want it, but that's the way God set it up to. So anyway, in Luke, uh, Leviticus 23... Leviticus 23. We can have Sabbaths because God tells us that this is the time that He wants us to come. Leviticus 23, verse 33. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the fifteenth day of the seventh month. I know last night I went outside and it was like daylight. We've got a full moon. must be the fifteenth day. And it's the seventh month. We are in a year where there was seven, I mean, uh, 13 months. So that's why we're a little bit different. So in the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the eternal. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation and you shall do no servile work. That's today. A holy convocation, a time when we come to our Father. In Deuteronomy 16.13, Deuteronomy 16.13 says, You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days after that you have gathered in the corn and the wine. I think back in years past, 
being a beekeeper or for a number of years, I can remember the feast coming before I was able to bring in my fall harvest. We have to go to the feast, come back after the feast and gather it in. So I said, God says, after you gather in your crops. Well, I must have been keeping it at the wrong time. <laughs> because this year, I'll tell you, the beekeepers in Florida would have already gathered in their crops. They come, the last fall harvest comes in September, and toward the end of September it's over, so you're able to gather it in. So I ask a question today. Is God pleased with us? Is God pleased that we are here at this time, in this place, keeping the Feast of Tabernacles right now? We have to think about that. If we are really pleasing our God, our Creator. Isaiah 1, God talks about some of the things that are not pleasing to Him. Isaiah 1, verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. We know Sodom and Gomorrah was confused. Their actions, their way of life, and we live in a nation now that is confused. And the church is confused. And God says, listen up. We know Mr. Armstrong said, I remember that very plainly throughout the 60s and 70s. Mr. Armstrong said, don't believe me, believe the Bible. Blow the dust off your Bible. Take it down off the shelf. Read it. Believe what it has to say. But the church and the nation and the world is like Sodom and Gomorrah. 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Said the Eternal. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of, of, of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs, or in the goats. So God says, I've had enough of this. Our prayers are supposed to be our sacrifice. But if they're half-way prayers, half-awake, half-asleep, or praying to the God of this world, not to the Creator, then God gets fed up with us asking for help, asking for this, asking for that, but then doing our own things, keeping our, our feasts and not God's feasts. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Vain meaning wasted, worthless time. Things, your sacrifices are just vain. They don't mean much. But we're here because this day represents, and to me this is probably the highest day of the feast because it pictures the time when we've gone through a holocaust. One that's so great it puts to shame the firstborn death in Egypt. 
of all the deaths and problems up to that time, when there's only going to be a small handful of people compared to the six billion that are on the face of this earth today, and this day begins a thousand-year reign of the God family. It'll be God the Father, His Son, and His Son's wives, His children. And this begins a time when He will begin, to, the Father will begin to have grandchildren. A time when people will begin to live in peace, not like this world has right now. There's war and fighting. I was listening to the Fox News channel this week off and on when I could stand it. All they do is argue over who's the better politician. Arguing over this man lies or that person lies. That's on our news. We find that you listen to the local news, which comes out of Phoenix for us living here, of death, hatred, robbery. But this day represents the beginning of a new society. We should be excited. It should be, we should be just thrilled at that fact that we're going to be able to go out there and talk to people. So we're here to learn how to do that. I know it's tough sometimes. It really is tough to maybe try to talk to each other. I got frustrated this morning and I shouldn't have. And because a lot of times it's like uh, you insert your mouth in gear before you uh, start the wheels that cause you to think, you know, your brain. And you say things you shouldn't say because you don't think about it. But we're going to have to take a time in the world tomorrow, in the, as this day pictures the beginning of the millennium, there are going to be people that are hiding out in caves, in rocks, uh, every place, trying to get away from God, and who can remember the society they lived in this time. They can remember the Holocaust that they just went through, and they're going to want to do things like they always did. And how are we going to handle that? Don't do that. You're wrong. Jump on them with two feet. Or are we going to have to be like Christ and try to encourage them to go the right way? That's the past. That way never worked. 6,000 years of man's life has all always led to one thing, death and destruction, hatred. You know, you see the cartel, the drug cartel in Mexico. One guy gets so many people to follow him. How does he do that? How does he take control of somebody else's life and get them to murder or, or produce drugs and stuff? We're going to have to be that way only to teach them how to do it God's way. So this day is a day that begins a whole new society. Now in verse 16, God says, tells us what we have to be doing. 
So he doesn't like it. Well, back up in 14, it says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. He looks at the way we have been doing things, and he says, I don't like that. Fact is, I hate the way you've been doing it. The way we've been keeping the feast, like I said, back in St. Pete. People came to St. Pete. To me, it was always depressing before the last few words of the sermon and before the song could even be sung, people were flocking out of the hall by the droves. Now, I know there were some men that had to be out there for parking and security, but there were hundreds of people leaving before they had the last prayer. Is that pleasing to God? Does it please God that we come to His feast to go to Disney World? Or to go out on the beach and go golfing or swimming or go to bush gardens or to any of these other things? Does that please God? Is that what He really wants? So He says, I hate those things. Say, so your new moon, your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary to bear them. I'm getting tired of this. So as we come closer to this end time, God gets more frustrated with mankind. And no wonder He's going to throw what He does at man. No wonder He's going to be upset. And when you spread forth your hands, you know, like we're getting on our knees to pray, if we don't have it in our heart, if we're not here at this feast to love God and learn to please Him, He says, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes. Do you want your Father, do you want your husband-to-be to hide his eyes from you because you come to this, his feast, and make shallow prayers, meaningless prayers, or you want to do your own thing. I'm going to pray quick so I can get out there and get my stuff done. He said, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood because you don't do it my way. So he tells us, you want him to be pleased with you? You want him to be pleased with this feast? Be excited about what he's offering to us? He says in verse 16, wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil from your doings. And we get sermons and sermons throughout the year telling us things to do. Do we still do that? Do we still allow the evil to come in? He says, put that away from you. Put away the evil from your doings from before my eyes and cease from doing evil. So we give us a little thought here. Make these changes. First, start out by washing yourself with what? The water of the Word. 
So we come here for eight days. Seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day to be washed with God's Word as we look forward to the time when God will rule Christ and His bride and He offers that to us. He offers us the opportunity to rule too. And so we make mistakes right now. But we have to change, don't we? He wants us to turn that around to follow His way. 17. Learn to do well. Well, eight days we'll have 12 sermons teaching us how to learn to do what's right in God's sight. But we have to take and focus on those things. It says, learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless and plead for the widow. So we have fatherless and widows here. Do we plead for them? Do we get on our knees? That's what your prayers should be. We had a I think it was Sermonette, Sermon, <laughs> last week was talking about that, honoring God in our fasting. Do we really do it God's way? Come now and let us reason together, says the Eternal. Come to God, let's reason with Him. Though your sins be scarlet, they shall be white as snow, and though they be as crim- red crimson, they shall be as wool. And if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. We have to be willing, he says. Just be willing to focus what he wants us to do. But he says, the other side, the coin, but if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So God wants us to do it His way. He wants us to be pleasing Him. Pleasing our Father, pleasing Christ, the King, the Lord of hosts, and not ourselves. Too often we can go out and find a feast site that is pleasing to us. But the focus should be on pleasing God. The focus should be on learning His way, not on learning our ways and doing our things. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We have to learn to please our Father. And we have to learn to please our husband today if we expect to be a part of what he's doing. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, Emmanuel, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So our criteria that God gives to us is to walk after the Spirit after what He wants to do, to do things His way, His way. To please Him at this feast, we have to walk 
with our right spirit. For the law of the spirit of life is in Emmanuel, has made me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, we sin. The law is you sin, you die. That's the law. It's what God set up. But Christ made it possible that we no longer have to, to do that because He paid that penalty. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So He paid the price for us. We are here to learn how to please our Father. We have eight days. Eight days to learn to please Him, to do things His way, to honor Him, to walk in the Spirit, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We have to walk after the Spirit. We have to put away walking after the flesh. It's hard. It's hard to put our flesh minds, you know, our human minds aside and start to doing it God's way, isn't it? Because we keep tuning in to the wrong thoughts too many times. For they that are after the flesh, God tells us, if you are after the flesh, do mind the things of the flesh. If that's what you want to do, if you want to be a part of this world, that's what you get mindful in. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Are we here to walk after the Spirit, to mind the spiritual things? Well, that's what He called us for. That's why this is His feast. For to be carnally minded is death. So if we walk after the flesh, He says, it's death. That's it. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we have to begin to focus and think of this day being the beginning of life. Beginning of a time when God will rule. We won't have people blowing themselves up and trying to take out 50, 100, 10, whatever it is. We won't have people kidnapping children. We won't have mothers killing their children and taking them out to a dump someplace. I mean, no, no thought. They're after the flesh. We're going to be a time when there will be peace and harmony. Because the carnal mind is enmity or against or contrary to God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We're here to please God. If we're here and doing strictly physical, fleshly things, you will not please God. That's the bottom line. He said, if your whole intent is for pleasing in your own personal pleasure, you're not going to please God. He'd be just like he said back in Isaiah. He hates those things. He doesn't want that. 
verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Is God dwelling in you? Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Well, I don't know. We don't. We want to be Christ, don't we? We want to be a part of that bride. We don't want Christ to say, you're not one of me. You don't belong to me. Because you don't have God in you, living in God's Spirit. David expressed his thoughts on how to please God in Psalms 63. David's thoughts on how to please God are our thoughts on how to please God. Turn to Psalm 63 and verse 1. Psalm 63, verse 1. David speaking and his thoughts on pleasing God. And this is what we need to be doing. We need to be seeking ways to please God in our life. Here at the feast, O oh God, You are my God. Early will I seek You. Do we get early in the morning? I know in times past we get so involved in the feast and the activities and 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 fellowship. Sometimes we stay up too late at night. But we're so excited to be able to be with people that we haven't been with for a while or share what we've been taught throughout the day. And so we stay up late, way too late. And we can't get up early in the morning. And here David said, but I will seek you early. So God wants us to seek Him early. And goes on to say, my soul thirsts for you. Really wants God's Word, God to be with them, to be a part of them. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You know, if you go out, and I read a little report about it, or well, I guess it was on the news sometime past, about two months ago or so, a man walked, tried to walk across Death Valley. Well, he did. He walked across and came back. A dry and thirsty land. He forgot to take enough water with him. And he got within a half a mile and dried up. Now, we can't be like that. We should have this desire for God, for Him in this dry world. It's a dry and thirsty land. But we should be looking toward that way that we can please our Creator. To please the King, the Lord of hosts. That's the primary factor, isn't it? We want to please God and come to the feast, as Zechariah 14, 16 says, we came here not for personal pleasure, but to worship the King. To worship our Creator. To do things His way. So David goes on to see your power. He said, you know, I want to see God's power and your glory so that I have uh, seen you in your sanctuary. David really wanted to be a with God, be a part of Him. It's no wonder God said of David, he was a man after his own heart. David tells us these are things we should be doing if we want to please God. 
because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. So, we have an opportunity at every service to sing. Sing three songs. We sing a song. We sing another song. So we get to sing five songs for every service. Do we let our lips, let that just flow out to honor and praise our Creator? Or do we hold back? Well, I don't want this person next to me to hear how bad I sing. God says, make a joyful noise. He wants to hear you praise Him. Thus, Will I bless you while I live? He understood. This life is only temporary. You know, young people sit out there and think, I've got all the time in the world. You get to 40s, you think, well, uh, that time's gone down some. And you get to the 60s, and boy, it's really gone down. When you get in the 70s and 80s, it's really gone down. So he says, thus I'll bless you while I live. And you begin to think, I'm live right now. I've got to take the time to praise my Creator. Because when I die, I can't do that. It stops. So people judge like Mr. Armstrong. They judge him being this kind of person or that kind of person. His life is set. He can't praise God anymore. The way he lived his life... And the way you live your life today is what brings praise to God. David goes on, I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with the marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Just giving God praise. You know, young people, you have a long life, but you don't know. Your life is only a breath away, you know. Oh yes, you look at 30 and 40 years and think, man, that's a lot of time. i got plenty of time to praise God. Do you? You have an opportunity as a young person to do it right now. I was only 25, I believe, when I first listened to Mr. Armstrong. I had to make a commitment back then. Well, I got all that time. But to me, it was important that today was the day to commit my life to create the Creator. And as I began to go to the Feast of Tabernacles and hear what was going to come about, and they would read the destruction that was on its way in Revelation. Read, it. read the Revelation, you young people. Read what's coming on this world and read what he offers you. Peace, harmony. Maybe you won't be made a God when Christ returns, but you'll have the first opportunity to live in a society led by Christ, led by the bride that will bring peace and harmony, abundant living, you have the first opportunity to be children born to that God family, to the husband and wife, and become the first grandchildren of the God of the Father. That's set for you. So we all have to get our lips making joyful noises to our God. 
when I remembered you upon my bed and meditated on you in the, in the night watch, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. And my soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. Do we really strive with our might as David did to think on God when we go to bed, when we get up, to make there and look at the stars that God created? He knew what the Nazareth was. He named the stars. He knew what God was doing. He could look at the mountains and still give God praise. And he would get up in the mornings and he'd still go and give God the praise. So our whole thing, this feast, is to learn how to praise, please our Father and to please Christ. In Hebrews 11, which is fantastic, we learn of many people that God said pleased Him. It starts out in verse 4, it talks of Abel. It says, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Why? Did Cain not know the same thing? Sure he did. These young men, born to Adam and Eve, at this time now were adults. They knew they had to bring a sacrifice to God. They knew what God required. Cain, being fleshly, thought, that's a waste, isn't it? I'll just bring a sacrifice. Do we come to the Feast of Tabernacles just for a sacrifice? Not Abel. It says, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gift, and by it he being dead yet speaks. Because his love for God, he was giving the best that he had. We come here. Are we giving God the best that we have? Or are we like Cain? We're coming and bringing a sacrifice. God wants the best. God expects the best. If we're going to please Him, like Abel, we have to bring the best. Not just a sacrifice. Not just be here in person because God said, you will keep the Feast of Tabernacles because we know that it's going to go on in the millennium. It says of Egypt, if they refuse to keep the feast, He's going to punish them, to take away their water, make them suffer. So we just come here? Do we just, I'm here because God said I gotta be here, so I come. Or are we like unable, bringing the best we have, doing the best we possibly can? goes on in verse 5. By faith, Enoch walked with God. Is our faith so strong that we are here to walk with God? 
He says, Abel was translated that he should not see death. It wasn't long after Abel was, I mean, Enoch was taken out that the world was destroyed. God saw fit that Abel did not have to see the million people or whatever was on that planet die. He did not have to see that death. And it was found, it was not found because he was translated. For before his translation, he had this testimony. Abel, I mean, Enoch pleased God. Do we have that testimony with our Father? Can he look down at you and say, you please me. Your attitude, your gift of desire to be a part of me, pleases me. In Jude, we also read of Enoch, Jude 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints. Talks about the return of Christ and the beginning of the millennium. Beginning of a time of a better way of life. So what did Abel do? I mean, Enoch do? He preached. He believed God. He told the people what's going to happen. He walked with God. Today, are you walking with God? Is this feast of tabernacles so important to realize that you must walk with God? Verse 6 says, but without, this is back in Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. If we don't have that kind of rapport with our Father, that we trust Him in everything we do, we believe Him, we follow Him, He said, if you don't have that kind of faith, you are not going to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Oh, there's something that we have to begin to do. Trust and faith and diligently seek our God. This feast is that important. Too many times, too many places, too many splinter groups of worldwide just don't please God. The feast or our pleasing God caused the whole church to be disintegrated because we became lethargic, because we thought, well, we don't really have to please God. Those first years that I came in the church, it was so important to be a part of what God was doing. It didn't make any difference. And if you leave, you lose your job. Well, I was looking for a job when I got this one, you know. I'm here to please God. We go to Big Sandy and camp out, and we had just a fantastic time. But over the years, it became more prevalent to go to St. Pete or Orlando or Los Angeles or take a cruise or, you know, we got all excited about taking cruises. But were we really excited about serving God? Are we that excited today? By faith, Noah, 
being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Are we like Noah? You know, we are being warned of a horrendous holocaust going to come on this earth. We hear almost every week in Sabbath services that this country is going down. Our dollar is going to collapse. Are we moved with that kind of faith that Noah had to build a place that we could save our family, our spiritual family? Noah believed God. He understood that God said, this is going to happen. Do we have that kind of faith to really comprehend that even 90% of the church is going into the tribulation? I mean, that's scary if you really think about it because you have to say, am I part of that 90% or am I walking with God? Am I being an Abel? Am I being an Enoch? Am I being a Noah? Do I believe God that much? It's going to happen. The church will go into the tribulation. Millions, billions of people are going to die. So we read through the Scriptures where it's going to take Years to bury all these dead bodies? Do we comprehend that that is a lot of dead bodies? People will go around and mark the, the bones so that the burial crew can finally come through and bury those people. That's going to happen. Do we understand that? Are we preparing right now that this feast, starting right now, are we preparing like Noah did to honor God, to love God. Verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. No, God called us. We have to be and have the faith of Abraham, don't we? To believe God. He says, go out. Do it my way. And not knowing exactly how it's going to work. But you know it's going to work. Because God said so. And it was on and you know, Abraham sojourned in a land of promise. Not even receiving the promises. Verse 10, for he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's the faith that Abraham had. So we come here, are you looking for that city? Are you looking to be a part of what God is doing? God is building that city. You're only a part of it. But we need to walk. And the Feast of Tabernacles talks about that time, doesn't it? When God will be here, He will be the light of that city. Christ will be the light of that city. 
through faith, verse 11, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had the promise. Are we judging Christ? Are we judging the Father as faithful? Sarah was past the ability to have children. And yet, God said, you'll have it. And she conceived and had a child. And she judged him because of his faithfulness. Verse 13 talks about all the people through the years, through the centuries, that honored God. People that, you know, wasn't a great quantity because we can see through through here and through uh, Hebrews 11 that wasn't a fantastic amount. But there were people like Abel, like Enoch, like David, who honored God and who sought Him. These all died, verse 13, not having received the promise. They were given a promise to be a part of the family of God. They're dead. They're waiting. You know, in Thessalonians tells us that when that last trump sounds, these individuals that's brought out right here will rise first. Do we believe that? Is that in our repertoire? Do we contemplate on that? Do we think about all that that God has given to us? They are going to rise first. God made them a promise. All these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, a country that God is going to give. We're here not to do our own things, you know, not to live our way, but to live God's way. And truly, if they have been mindful of the country where they came out, they might have opportunity to return. If we focus on what we left, we might want to return. I'm sad many times when I look back and see people on the Facebook that I knew who looked back not forward. The people here in Hebrews 11 looked forward always, didn't they? They looked for a country, a city, not yet seen, but they looked for it. Where so many people have looked and thought, oh, it's so great, let's return. I had a granddaughter write in Facebook that she wanted to return someplace. 
I wrote to her and told her, there is no way. You can't return. You can't go back. It will not be the same. Once you have left a place, it is going to be different. You might think, oh, I could go back and be in the thick of things. It won't be the same. Other comments came in that they felt I was wrong (laughs) making that statement. But I'm telling you, God says, don't go back. If you contemplate going back, you will walk away. And we say, my wife and I talked many times and said, so many people who we thought were so convicted doing God's way, where are they today? They're keeping Christmas and Easter and and they're uh, going to Sunday church. They're worshiping the wrong God because as they drift away, they lose, they lose, they lose. And God offered us a crown, didn't He? He only has so many. 144,000 offered it to you. If you turn your back and go back, you lose a crown and you can't retain that crown and receive it again. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for He has prepared for them a city. You know, if we focus on God's way and really think the Feast of Tabernacles is talking about a time that is so fantastic, but maybe we don't think about it always that much. Millions of people finally coming up and worshiping God. Millions of people being happy, having their own vine and fig tree. Living as peaceful and happy And we'll have an opportunity to teach them. Have an opportunity to say, hey, you made a mistake. Let's let's look at it this way and see how much better it is. The past was all bad for people because man tried to do it his way. Started with Adam, didn't it? God said he wanted a communication line. I, I looked at this and thought, you know, God has always wanted to have a relationship with man. Hasn't he? Started in the Garden of Eden. I want to have a relationship. And so he spent time talking to Adam. But then came the snake. <laughs> so, you know, you don't have to, you know, you can do these other things. You can be something yourself. And they cut and severed that relationship with God. He's tried to have a relationship only with a few throughout society. We're here today that God wants a relationship with you. And the millennium is a time when mankind finally will have a relationship with God and the God family. Because they'll be there and they'll be able to teach them, train them, and show them the right way to go. They'll have a personal relationship. He's telling us right here today, we should have that personal relationship with Him. The feast is a relationship with God. And last week... Daryl spoke on what happens. How, how do you know you have that relationship with God? He says, if, if you do it with the least of these, my brethren. If we can fellowship and love each other, then we can fellowship and love God. But if we have a difficulty 
fellowshipping with each other. How can we fellowship with God? So the millennium is going to time when people will fellowship with the God family. And there'll be 144,000 of the God family out there to fellowship with. And as time goes on, there'll be those that will be born as grandchildren, maybe. And that's my, my thoughts of calling grandchildren. But, you know, the husband marries the bride, 144,000. Who's next? Children, right? I don't know. And to the father, they'll be grandchildren. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered his son. That is the, the relationship that we have to have here today with our father that Abraham had with his father. That he was willing to offer up a son that God promised to him that he gave to Sarah in her old age that she was not able to do. Gave it to her to say, offer your son. Are we ready to offer ourselves on that same opportunity to our Father, knowing that he promised us to be in the world tomorrow helping and training others? Verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Are we ready to refuse to be called children of this world? Are we ready to stand out like Moses did? And forsake the world Forsake everything that's out there. In verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as he seeing him who was invisible. Do we see our God? Moses did. Moses gave up a life of being ruler. He had everything being there the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, had everything. A chance to be king or Pharaoh over all of Egypt. He gave that up. So we have to be there ready to give all up because what's offered to us? The world tomorrow? Fantastic. Fantastic. Verse 31. These are just individuals that are out there, that people that pleased God. Opportunities for us to look back and say, am I like that? Am I willing, like Moses, to give up everything for God so I can please Him? By faith, the harlot Rahab Praise not with, or with them that uh, believe not, but when she received the spies with peace. She took in. She believed that these were God's people. These were ones that uh, God was going to use. And what happened to Rahab? 
God was so pleased with her attitude, her life, that he spared her and her family. Her family was spared because of her uh, love and her respect for the, for what God was doing. So, whether we're whatever we are, do we please God? It goes on in 32, talks of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel. Sometimes we look down and you know, and we say, I don't like who you use, God, as leader. But we don't say that to God. No, we say, I don't like you. I don't like who you send to speak. And God told Samuel, didn't he? He said, they don't hate you, Samuel. They don't hate the ones that God puts here to speak. They hate Christ because they're not willing to walk the walk that God has put in front of them. Are we here for that purpose? Do we find difficulties? Do we challenge other people? There are things that we can do, friend, to make this a joyful feast. One is make sure that we fellowship with God we don't fall short. We give the best we have like Abel did. That's the first thing that we have to do. We're not here for personal pleasure. We're here to go to school. We're here to be trained. God has sent us messages and He gives us preachers to preach. And He says that, by the, like Paul said, by the foolishness of preaching, but God uses that as a teaching tool. So the first thing is, don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on spending the time here learning to do it God's way. So maybe we don't Bible study a lot throughout the feast, but we do Bible study a lot throughout the feast. We'll have hours sermonettes and sermons of teaching us and getting our nose and finding out what God wants. So the first thing is that fellowship and relationship with the Father and Christ. And the second thing is the fellowship with each other. Because if we fellowship with each other, we know, go back and listen to that sermonette Gordon did some years back on iron sharpening iron. Not Iron beating on iron, but iron sharpening iron. Showing the right way. Ex you know, being excited over what you've learned. Being excited and share what you've learned. And maybe they've learned a little bit of another approach because we're, you know, different people. So we can add, well, you know, I got this out. Well, I got this. And they can come together and they get the bigger picture. So fellowship with each other. And the third thing, is to diligently seek God. Diligently seek Him. 1 John 3.22 And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we ask His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. 
diligently seeking God will be diligently seeking to please God. Not personal, not self, not personal pleasure, but seek God. He wants us to enjoy this feast. Because he tells us that. Enjoy the feast. And so with the opportunities that are set in front of us, the things that we can enjoy, do that. With the respect and with the thought in mind that we are honoring God and doing things to bring pleasure to him and pleasing him in his sight. In Ecclesiastes 9.10 tells us things that I told my children. If you find it, to do. It says, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Not halfway. So if we're here and we're to diligently seek God, we should diligently seek Him with all our might. As it goes on, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you go. So you have a short life. Diligently. Diligently. The feast is short. This is the first day. It's going to be like a blink of the eye and we'll be at the last great day. So diligently is the time right now to seek God. Put every bit of effort into what you can to love God. So, why'd you come to the feast? (laughs) What's the important thing of the feast? We come and should be here to please God. Is this feast going to please God? Will you live your life and diligently seek God, not forgetting who He is, remembering that we're here to worship the King, the Lord of hosts? If we're diligent doing that, we'll please God. But if we take a haphazard approach. It'll be just like it said there in Isaiah chapter 1. I hate your feast. Do you want God to hate your feast? Do you want God to hate this feast? I don't think so. I think we really want God to say, I am pleased with the way you kept this feast.